Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Caped Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. This is Backhold to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 120 for June MMXBI. Backhold to Oracle is brought to you by Mayday Mondays. Hey, Jorok. Yeah, Zach. You know that character, Mayday Parker? From- yeah, daughter of Spider-Man. Yeah, you know she was still born during the Clone Saga and everything? Yeah, Allison Mongrain and all that nonsense. Uh, of course. But you know what would be really great? What? If there was a podcast devoted to that character. <sighs> Zach, there already is. It's called Mayday Mondays. We're both on it. covers Spider-Girl and various other MC2 titles like J2 and A-Next and Fantastic Five and so forth. Where can people find it? It's on spidey-dude.com, iTunes, Google Play Music Podcasts, you. YouTube, even. YouTube? Don't you remember all this stuff? What, you hit your head recently? You know, it was my clone. I'm sorry. <sighs> yeah, that happens a lot around here. It's a true story. So if you're interested, check us out. Trust me, it's almost as good as the podcast you're listening to right now. Backward the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. If you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. 
Batgirl the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Help TBU keep the lights on. Please donate to help Dustin with rising server fees. Your support means your favorite shows will continue airing. Go to thebatmanuniverse.net to learn more and donate today. Well, my guest this month is an important figure who stands, I feel, at the crossroads of comics, representation of women, and social media. And I can't believe that it's taken this long uh, to get her on the show because I've really been following her and, and I'm very happy and, and I enjoy the things that she does. Please welcome Sue, the founder of DC Women Kicking Ass. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, you are someone that I've always I've kept coming back to because I've wanted you to be involved in in any sort of discussion. And then there's a reason why you're on because this is a pretty big episode. But I'm so glad that we finally have connected and, and you're on the show. Oh, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, I want to first talk about your site, which it started out as a Tumblr, but I feel like it's so much more really than that. Can you tell us about how, how it all started and, and how you have seen it grow over the years? Yeah. So I had, um, I've been in, in the comics community for years and years and years. And I had uh, been in other communities. Um, in particular, I was on Scans Daily for a while and you know about 19 when I started the started the blog back in uh, 2010 I was uh, very upset because there was a lot of uh, transformation going on at DC although you know as you know that's happens every five minutes but <laughs> in in particular I was upset because um Greg Rucka left uh, mm. DC Comics mm -hmm. And um, it, that was a very concerning issue to me because I felt like he was probably the most senior person with the, uh, within the creative organization there who really had uh, the ability to tell stories about, um, you know, multifaceted women and, you know, I don't like, you know, strong female characters, but, you know, he had done so much work with, with Batwoman and he had done work with Wonder Woman. And so I was kind of bummed out and I was like, well, what's going to go on with these DC characters, you know? And at that time, I was looking to learn more about social media myself and sort of figure out how things would go. So I, I found Tumblr, which was in a very nascent state at that time. And I wanted to sort of create a blog that would talk about the women of DC Comics and, um, you know, communicate how great they were, how diverse they were, and, and really be sort of a, a proponent for them and getting other people to get excited. You know, the, the blog really had just very clear purposes from the very beginning. It was like to, to celebrate the good, call out the bad, and to recruit more people, in, in particular women, to read uh, about these characters. It started off just as a bunch of pictures. Some of the first one was Barbara Gordon, <laughs> of course. And then I began to, uh, you know, do a little bit more prose. Uh, I'm not I'm not a terribly good writer, but I, you know, I I found the Tumblr platform to be a good way to do it because it, it was you could put up a lot of pictures and not many words, and, mm -hmm. you, and you could have success. And um, you know, it, it kind of just started getting a little bit of attention uh, from folks like Gail Simone reached out to me. Um, then it got picked up by a couple of websites who said, you know, this is sort of interesting. And so I think people began to come and, and I began to do some, you know, in, more interesting things, talking about diversity, talking about representation. I did series. I started doing interviews with people. And, um, you know, it's it's grown from there. I, I have to admit, you know, my my participation in it was really 
probably the highest, um, just at the new 52, mm-hmm. um, my life changed a little bit. You know, I began working more, um, out of the home. I had my own business and then I went out of the home. Um, so it's not quite as active, but I do, I do try to keep up with it. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a really great experience. Um, because the one thing I really wanted to do was to get people to be excited about reading comics that were good comics. Not all comics are great. Not all comics are particularly good on representation of women, but my theory was, uh, and I said so on the blog, and I've said so for many years, is that if you can get more women reading comics, then comics will change Mm -hmm. because people are usually looking to make money. And I feel like if you can get an audience and get that audience into comics, people begin to write comics that are more relevant for them. And we did see that. We've done seen that at DC Comics, I think, through the years. They've admitted that the, the female audience is growing. Marvel certainly also, you know, has started to, to realize that. And so I think the demographics have, have changed a lot. The visibility has certainly gotten a lot higher as well. Um, and I think that also has to do with the multimedia. I mean, you have Wonder Woman going into a movie. You've got Supergirl on mm-hmm. TV. So... So, yeah, it's been a really exciting, you know, six years to see the changes that have gone on. Are you at all surprised with the amount of success that you've had? I mean, looking back, would you have said that? Oh, no, no, (laughs) no. I was just doing it as it was a hobby. You know, I mean, as I said Mm -hmm. before, I had been in commentary for comics, but I was, no, it was just sort of this thing to figure out, okay, so how does social media platforms work? How does Twitter work? So it was good for for me because it's part of my my everyday job, but I was stunned, absolutely, completely stunned. Um, I remember it was like a a Friday and I was, uh, I was just like, you know, typing away. And then somebody, like I had like some Twitter fall and people say, Gail Simone just talked about your, your Tumblr. And I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, really? (laughs) And then somebody came back and they're like, Oh, Heidi, Heidi McDonald just linked to you. And I'm like, what? Really? I, I don't even know what to say because I, I, you know, I, I just, I was like, wow, people are actually reading this. And that was, that was, a, that was a huge surprise to me, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And I think part of too was, is that I, I, I think that it wasn't just the, the thing. I think creators were really uh, interested in it because they had an opportunity to, have a different perspective. When my first year there, I, there had been a, a moment, um, which I think Stella, you relate to, which was the greatest moments in DC comics history. Mm-hmm. And the, or maybe it wasn't greatest, but top moment, but like the top moment was, I think Barbara Gordon being shot by the Joker. Yeah. And I reached out to um, Brian who runs comics should be good, who actually ended up being kind of my boss when I was, because of the podcast we did on CBR. And I was just like, how can that be a top moment? And it had been voted. And I said, you know what? That's like a horrible moment in comics for Mm -hmm. women. It's a horrible moment in comics. I certainly memorable moment. I understand that, but it just bothered me. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to create my own series and I'm going to call it the most memorable moments for comics for women. And I said, you know, one of the things you have to do is the character has to have agency, (laughs) you know? So that's automatically going to take, you know, Barbara being, you know, shot at the door looking for, you know, Colleen to go to yoga class and put this more into a, a very positive thing. And I did a whole, you know, survey on it. And then I got the moments and then, you know, reached out to people and said, 
do you want to write about this? So, you know, I had this really great experience where I had uh, Greg Rocca talking about, you know, the moment when, when Kate Kane, you know, turns in her, um, her class ring and, and resigns from West Point, which, which happened on the weekend that Obama turned over, uh, don't ask, don't tell. So it was like this amazing moment because Greg wrote about, you know, this, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And then I had Phil Jimenez talking about, uh, the moment where the issue where Wonder Woman and Lois Lane, um, you know, team up together. And I had Brian Q. Miller come on and talk about um, an issue with uh, Batgirl. And uh, so that to me was like, wow, this is just amazing that I'm talking to these people and I'm meeting these people. I remember going to Comic-Con the first year I had the blog and, you know, and I never assume anybody knows who I am. I never, ever assume anybody even heard of it. I always just say, you know, hi, I do this blog about these women's cookies. And I was talking to people and they would go, oh, my God, I know who you are. I know. Oh, my God, I love your thing. And I was just I, it was just amazing to me. I just I'm still amazed. I'll be at Comic Cons and people will go, oh, no, I know who you are. I read you all the time. And I'm like, that's amazing. It's amazing. That's great. It's awesome to hear just how it's grown and the level of success that you've and and I'm just appreciative that you do represent, you know, women in comics. I think that's what has drawn me to it, obviously. Yeah. I do do wonder what uh, those voters, you know, who voted for Barbara getting shot, what their mindset was uh, when they voted for that. You know, if I wonder if it was just because it it sent Jim Gordon into a tizzy and it's the greatest Joker story, as everyone touts, or is it because they were considering that after that she became Oracle? Would that at all change your viewpoint if they were thinking the latter that, you know, because of this she became Oracle and John Ostrander got a hold of her and Kim and and that became a, a beautiful creation. Would you at least like? Would you change your viewpoint? No, I okay. don't. I mean, I think people do say that they, mm-hmm. you know, people people usually have a lot of answers, and I believe <laughs> me, the amount of time that I've written about the Killing Joke um, and had to delete about you know half the messages that come through. You know, they really it really boils down to a couple things. One, it's a great Joker story. The Joker is chaos. Um, he does you know, he does kill and hurt people. So why should, why wouldn't he kill and hurt somebody? Right. That's number one reason. Joker story, greatest Joker story of all time. You know, Joker kills. It's not because she's a woman. It's just because he's the Joker. Mm -hmm. Okay. That doesn't seem to me to be, uh, you know, a reasonable answer because um, it didn't have to be Barbara Gordon. It was, it was because Alan Moore thought this was a way to to tell the story. Um, The fact that she became Oracle, I find is um, an excuse too, because, you know, frankly, that wasn't in the plan. You know, I, I know the plan. I mean, I interviewed Barbara Randall Castle Mm -hmm. um, many years ago about, you know, her time when she, you know, obviously, as you well know, Stella, you know, she, she wrote um, some of the last stories of, of, of Barbara Gordon, wrote the last Barbara Gordon um, story, the only the only standalone issue that Barbara Gordon had as a character up until the new 52. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to them, you know, I said to her, you know, well, Barbara, you know, what, what, what did they tell you, you know, when you went to write that issue? And she was very blunt. She's like, they told me she's getting her spine shot out, so make people feel sorry for her. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to be, you know, you know, creating a whole new character. Mm-hmm. Although, Barbara, you know, 
did put in these little things, as I'm sure you're well familiar with, you know, that she's using a computer and she's doing research right. that mm-hmm. would do it. But that was not the plan at all. There was no plan for Barbara Gordon. I mean, like all characters, I'm sure that they would have done that. But, you know, the character of Oracle was, re- was really created because Kim Yale was pissed that they had that they had crippled this character, this really terrific character. And then they created, um, you know, the character Oracle for, you know, Suicide Squad, which was, she was writing with her husband, John Ostrander. So I, I, I find that the killing joke, um, you know, I mean, I understand the idea that it has this, the definitive, you know, Joker um, origin in it. But I mean, as a piece of, comic you know i mean alan moore doesn't even think it's that great <laughs> so, <laughs> who am i to argue with him yeah how do you feel that the, this is the first r-rated direct-to-video film that they're they're producing well you know i'm not surprised at all you know i mean if i if i have my if my motivation to bring more women into comics is because i understand they're a money-making organization i understand that what i what i always have challenges with with is the the mixed messages that get sent, mm-hmm. you know, um, and particularly with animated features, which although we know, and I know these are very adult features, um, you have an animated Barbara Gordon in DC Superhero Girls, which is designed right. to sort of create this new generation of comics. And, and I'm very excited about that. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's something that I've, you know, wanted for a long time. But how do you have that? How do you have that, you know, then you also have the killing joke with Barbara Gordon in animated form. And they and they are kind of, kind of mitigating this with having a um, um, some a Barbara Gordon sort of like mini, you know, featurette story at the start of the killing joke so that she has more agency and there's more, at least more acknowledgement to the character. But it's still... That's the first time, except for um, I believe at the end of the um, Bad Blood, uh, Bad Blood, where mm-hmm. you where you see the yellow boots, that Barbara's been in an animated feature. I right. guess well, I guess you know they did the Joker Phantasm one. wasn't the one where they they had the they went back in history. So I guess back technically that was an animated feature, but it's still it's still very frustrating uh, because when I went to read the official. Uh, description of the movie it was all about you know Jim Gordon having a bad day and mm-hmm. there was no mention of Batgirl none and yeah. then the cover of the DVD as you know you know the very familiar um, image of, of the Joker in his Hawaiian shirt with his gun mm-hmm. um, they've taken and in and, and, and the DVD cover and put on you know a, a picture of that and then have blood splattered on him and I'm like that's Barbara's blood yeah. So it, there, there's always this dichotomy of, gee, you know, you got an animated barber for little girls, and then you have this other one where you're, you know, you're you're shooting her and and showing her on the ground. I mean, they're obviously I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of the movie. They do show her, you know, the the photo taking. So it's always a dichotomy of like. How do you how do you balance that? How do you bring women in, but then you do things like that? And mm-hmm. and I understand that. I understand there's a Batman for children and there's a Batman for kids, but it does get a, a little strange, you know. I mean, that was the whole thing that Darren Cook, you know, who we 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 just lost, who would always just say, you know, how do you have a Batman for kids and then you got a Batman that's beating the crap out of people, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
Well, we've been dancing around it, or her, I should say, and that's Barbara Gordon. And that's what oh, yeah. This podcast is about. So, uh, yeah, to turn the conversation from uh, sort of a, an unfortunate event to one that's more positive, uh, what is yeah. your particular history with Barbara Gordon? Oh, so, you know, it was it was Batman. It started with Batman, and it was the Batman. It was the, the pop culture, you know, Batman 66, I guess they call in the comics. And I just, I love that show. And then, you know, was watching it, and then Batgirl, you know, one episode shows up, you know, and I, that was it for me. I mean, I wanted to be Batman. I was obsessed with Batman, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, this character shows up and it's like, I, you know, I can't be Batman. I, I could be Batman, I guess, but it's still, you know, I'm, for me, I'm, you know, cisgendered, so I'm, I'd be a girl. But I now I can be a Bat person. I can be a member <laughs> of the Bat family. And I was just, it. I can just still remember seeing that and be, and just being obsessed with it. And then I'm, I want to go find comics that have her in it. I want to read about her mm-hmm. and um, just always, just always was, uh, you know, um, just a huge fan and, you know, deep, it deepened over time because, um, you know, I just think she's just a great character. Um, you know, she's so smart and uh, you know, I worked in the library at one point, so there you go. <laughs> she was a librarian mm-hmm. and I, I just really liked the character. And then, you know, obviously when she became Oracle, she became such an, a really unique character mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and just, you know, became a huge fan. I'm, I'm here home at my bedroom that is just disgustingly filled with stuff. Of, of, I just had something show up the other day. I had the first um, little mini statue of the new Batgirl with the with the yellow with the yellow boots came right. in. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, I have um, I have it, and just just I really, really, just think she is um, one of the most interesting characters. You know, I'm a huge fan of Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. I love Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman was, of course, is a true superhero. She, you know, she's. Um, you know, she comes from mythology or is surrounded by mythology. Um, big fan of Supergirl, too. But Supergirl is also, you know, a, um, a daughter of uh, Krypton. Barbara, to me, was always somebody who, you know, and I, and I hate, hate the idea of approachable or relatable. I just listened to Glenn Weldon's book about Batman fans. And, you know, it's like they love Batman because he's relatable. But I just found her to be a really interesting character because – she um, she wanted to be a superhero, didn't take any graph. She had an interesting side career. And then she evolved as a character, mm-hmm. truly evolved as a character. There are really no characters that truly evolve except maybe Dick Grayson, right? Over 50 years, you know, right. he went from being a little kid to a college student to becoming a cop to becoming a secret agent now, whatever he is. Most characters aren't able to have new shadings and to have things that handle them. And that's why I really loved, you know, the way Barbara Gordon was in comics. And then of course the new 52 came and, you know, things changed. (laughs) Things changed. Do you prefer her as Batgirl or as Oracle? This is a tough question. I actually now prefer, I prefer her as Oracle to be perfectly honest. I enjoy both. I enjoy, let me be clear. I enjoy her as Batgirl mm-hmm. prior to the Killing Joke, I read all of, you know all the comics. Mm-hmm. Really enjoy that, and then I evolved the evolution. I have not really come to terms one hundred percent with the New Fifty Two's decision. I think it was honestly very poorly handled. I think they're going to fix a little bit of this in Rebirth, 
but uh, I was n- not happy that they totally removed Oracle as a character mm-hmm. and just made her be Batgirl, couple of you know, sixteen years old, de-aged her a lot, mm-hmm. and then made her become Batgirl again. I thought it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I mean, if if I had been in, if I you know, or anybody had been injured and, and then, you know, had been, uh, had to use a, a wheelchair for a period of time, which is what happened in the new 52. I don't know if your first choice would then to put on Kevlar and go jumping over windows again. So it didn't, through buildings, it didn't make any sense. But the part of, of having Oracle totally be wholesale removed from her past was to me uh, just too much because then what did you have? You didn't have anything. You had, you know, something else. And uh, so I didn't like that. But from what I had been told in, the, in, in, in Rebirth, or, well, and you can tell from the cover of the, um, the Birds of Prey, mm-hmm. uh, New Birds of Prey, Oracle is being reinsert- reinserted into her past. And, but right now, Oracle is a villain. Like, so the, you, we've, I guess, realized that Barbara was Oracle at some point because when she realizes that someone is using this name, yes. you know, it ruffles her feathers. But what do you think about, you know, the first time we're reintroducing Oracle into this universe, it's as, as a villain? Well, I'm not sure I'm concerned about that because I don't know enough about it. Um, okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I, and I had been told, you know, off the record as I often am told, you know, that this was a, this was a definite decision of the rebirth that Oracle would be returned to continuity. Um, so I don't know enough about it. I mean, my, my, my hope would be, uh, is that, you know, that Barbara was recognized as having been Oracle. Mm-hmm. And now that somebody has taken that and is a bad person behind it, which I mean, to be perfectly honest, Stella, I think that was kind of like the plot of a couple of Birds of Praise issues, too, yeah. where somebody was impersonating Oracle. You know, I'm more on the history of Barbara as the information provider to the, to the DC community, is there. I'm not sure they're ever going to be able to, without moving up Barbara's age, you know, return her to Oracle's a member of the Justice League. Oracle, you know, ran the Birds of Prey for a number of years. Oracle, you know, as herself was an operative, she was Batman, you know, No Man's Land and all that stuff. But at least it's no longer, oh, Barbara was 16. She had this kind of costume. Then one day, you know, the Joker came to her door and did all that stuff to her. And then she was real sad. And she sat in her wheelchair for, what, a year? And then Jim Gordon took her to Africa and she got fixed. And now she's back to being Batgirl, which to me was just horrible. I would have much rather, and I have said this a number of times, when DC did the new 52, if they had said, okay. This is what we're doing. Completely new universe. All the characters you love, where Barbara Gordon was Oracle, all in another universe. This is our new universe. And in this universe, Barbara Gordon was always Batgirl. Rather than trying to, you know, push in this history. Uh, but they didn't do that. Now they're kind of doing that, right? Now mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, yeah, so, so. <laughs> whatever. Right? Yeah, I think that's the problem when you decide to have a constricted timeline um, yes. Certain things don't really match up together. 
looking at the horizon with this particular title, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, do you foresee, and I know it's super early, we don't even have issue one yet, but do you foresee Barbara going back to the Oracle title? Or, I mean, from 35 on issue 35 to where we ended, Frankie has sort of been the one that's been teased yeah. around being Oracle. I, how do you reconcile those two characters? Do you think Barbara should be Oracle again and Frankie is just sort of in some other title doing whatever she's doing? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the I'm not sure the Frankie character is honestly going to be in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not clear to me. I mean, at the end of the the run with um, Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, she was there and, and, and she was playing a role, an Oracle-like role. But now the Hope Larson story is... Um, taking Barbara out of Burnside right. and putting her on the road. Uh-huh. And then the Bensons, uh, the Benson sisters, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey is taking post that. So I'm not really sure where the supporting cast that was in the previous Batgirl book was going to be. Um, so I, do, I don't know. I, I would be perfectly fine at this point, you know, to have Barbara say, I want you to be, Oracle. I was Oracle, and now I'm going to pass it on to you. I mean, if you remember back in the Brian Q. Miller book, they had wanted to have Wendy right. uh, be yep. the Oracle character until, mm-hmm. um, you know, until DC, you know, t- told them to get rid of that character and focus on only Stephanie. Right. They wanted, they wanted Barbara out of the book. They wanted Wendy out of the book. They just wanted to focus on Stephanie. Um, so I'd be fine with that. You know, I just, you know, I'd be more welcome with the idea that Barbara having a really compelling scene saying to Frankie, I want to explain to you what I did. This is what I was doing. This is how I was. This is the, you know, do it. And, you know, I am now going to give it to you because they're not going to, they're not going to stop her from being Batgirl. I mean, they're, they're nicely providing some shadings back for people and fans, but there's no way that Barbara Gordon is going to stop being Batgirl. Mm -hmm. Just no way. (laughs) You know, they're, they've got, who they want is Batgirl. Uh, they've brought, you know, the other Batgirls into continuity and they're in Detective Comics, which, you know, is, um, you know, got Stephanie Brown and her spoiler and, and Cass Kane, her, I guess, orphan. So they're never not going to have a Barbara Gordon as Batgirl in comics again. So um, I don't think there would be any reason for her to go back to the Oracle role. Yeah. Uh, thank you for elucidating the timeline because I've that. <laughs> well, in regards to, you know, you have Batgirl in Japan and Batgirl in the Birds of Prey, and I'm trying yeah. to figure out, is this like a Wolverine situation? Well, Wolverine yeah. is in just all these different books, and you just sort of like, well, these are just adventures. But that's helpful to know that it's taking place after whatever, she, her sabbatical in Japan. That's that's what I that's what I read. I mean, that's okay. what I read. I read the, the uh, or on Twitter or something. I think it was Shauna Benson saying gotcha. that, you know, we're going to be post that that experience which makes sense because i think the two books well, i think the I, don't, I'm not, I think maybe i don't know i can't figure out the rebirth issues the one issues i know something in july is coming out the new batgirl rebirth and then yeah. the batgirl and the birds of prey so mm-hmm. were you at all shocked with the the roster that they picked for batgirl and the birds of prey because in the book of you know batgirl as it was ending you had um harper row was there and yeah. And it, so you sort of had the makings of a bird of, birds of prey, but then actually we're going back to sort of the original. 
I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, I think that um, they like, you know, with Black Canary, I think that they were looking to find a, uh, a position for that character, uh, you know, with the Dick Grayson book and going back to Nightwing, you had a, uh, a Helena Bertinelli character as well. So it, it made a lot of sense. I think that the original Birds of Prey still has a lot of um, fans. And while, you know, this is a little bit different mm-hmm. um, in terms of, uh, um, you know, um, the Helena Bertinelli that is in the New 52, or it's, it's so confusing with the IDs, um, and that there's no Oracle, it's a Batgirl, I think that they, they tend to um, like to return. I mean, let's look who's the architect of Rebirth. Is It's Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. And Jeff is, uh, I'm very fond of Jeff, actually. I, you know, I've had chit-chats with him over the years. You know, he really is a person who likes to go back to when the characters were, you know, at sort of like at their prime. So I'm not really surprised that he went and said, let's go back to the original. Let's go back. I mean, look, at he's bringing Wally back. He is also, you know, from what I what I was told, you know, he was the person who said, no, let's put Oracle back in as well. So I'm not really surprised it went there um, into, you know, the original, unlike in the new 52 where that was being, you know, very much driven by uh, another senior executive at DC Comics, uh, Dan uh, Dio, and they did not want to do the original at all. They that Birds of Prey was originally um, uh, they asked for different pitches for people to come in. The the one thing from what I understand, if I remember correctly, that they wanted was they wanted Poison Ivy on the team and they wanted Black Canary. And then um, I think they were going to have Zinda. Zinda. Yeah, Zinda. Yeah. Zinda's the other She was supposed to be on the team mm-hmm. as well. Okay. And then uh, they launched a Blackhawks book, and the writer, uh, uh, Dwayne Serzaneski, I can never pronounce his name, was told, you, you've got you've to get another character. So that's when they created Starling. So that was, that was a much different thing. That was really. Uh, a little bit of a new character, a little bit of an old character, and pulling it together. Oh, and also they had uh, Katana on as well. So that was a real new new thing. And now they're sort of back to, nope, let's go back to what's tried and true again. I still feel burned by that book a little bit just because there are still like some dangling plot lines that I would like resolved that are not. But maybe it's time to let that go. Oh, um, the birth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that book was um, – Troubled. Let's just say. <laughs> uh, final question on rebirth. Uh, what do you yeah. think about Barbara's sabbatical in Japan? How it went down? Why she's over there? Anything? Yeah, you know, it's an it's it's a definitely an interesting thing uh, for the character because Barbara as a character was never really um, removed out of Gotham except for the times you know back in the in the um, Bronze Age when she was living in Washington D.C. She's always been very connected to Goth. Well, I mean, you know, at the end of Birds of Prey, after you know, um, Gil Smith, they went to plat, plat, was it Platinum Fat Flats, and mm-hmm. a couple after the Clock Tower. But she had people with her. You know, she had never been off on her own. We have not seen a Barbara Gordon in a very long time 
who's just been alone except for that Oracle mini that they did a few years ago when, um, when they were thinking of bringing her back as um, Batgirl at that time. So it will be interesting because we will hear Barbara's voice and we'll be seeing hopefully Barbara go through some, maybe some growth, maybe some Mm self-reflection. You know, I think, I think that would be interesting. I mean, as she's been in Burnside, she's had her supporting characters when she was originally launched again for Batgirl, you know, when, when Gail Simone did it, you know, she had supporting. So I'm interested to see what Hope Larson brings to the table. You know, I had been told that Hope would be taking over the book by, you know, somebody within DC. And I actually was really happy with the idea. I was very sad to see, um, you know, that team leave. I thought they were great, Cameron and, and, and Brendan. But she's right such, um, you know, she has a really, have you have you ever read any of Hope Larson's stuff? Like, I haven't, no. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a, I have a daughter who reads a lot of YA, and she she really enjoys reading um, Hope's graphic novels. And so I think that she'll be a good voice for the character and a good fit. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to do for this. Because I think her voice, she hasn't done, I believe, a monthly comic. She certainly hasn't done anything for DC. So I think there's a real freshness there. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I reached out to her on Facebook just to, like, welcome her to the title. And, yeah. Uh, so she seems really excited about it and yeah. uh, pumped about the art and everything. So I can't wait. I hope I have the opportunity to talk with her. Yeah. Well, before we get into the the main event, we're, if you were to recommend sort of quintessential Barbara Gordon reading, whether yeah. it's Backer or Oracle, what would those books or titles or trades or stories be? Ooh, it's – um. I get asked that a lot. So, you know, I always say a, a sort of a good introduction uh, to the character is to, um, you know, they did a couple of years ago, um, ba- uh, Barbara Gordon's or Batgirl's Greatest Stories, you know, it was mm-hmm. a, it's the same thing. It's not the best. It doesn't have all the really great stories in it. Unfortunately, a lot of them aren't in collections. So I think that's a good introduction. It has her very first story which is great, you know, great introduction story. And then um, has a couple of other ones. I think there's also one where she's the Congresswoman. I think it's the Benedict Arnold one, which was the first um, Batman family. So that's, that's a really good start. As far as Oracle is concerned, um, you know, I, I like to tell people to go a little bit, you know, deeper into the story. I definitely think people should, and they'll will be made easier because I think they're going to finally trade all of Ostrander's uh, Suicide Squad to read some of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Go a little bit deeper and go into the Justice Leagues that she was in because mm-hmm. I think people forget that she she was in Justice League. Yep. And then I also think to start with the the Birds of Prey. I always say go to you know, Birds of Prey, and then read, you know, the first couple of issues, skip ahead to when Black Canary find out who Barbara is, and skip ahead, (laughs) and then go read Gail Simone's run Mm -hmm. uh, for a while. I do not recommend Gail Simone's second run. I think that was a a very challenging, uh, challenging run, and and frankly, it was a a huge disappointment to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not really sure what was driving... A lot of it, you know, I didn't think Hawk and Dove added anything to the yeah, book. Um, yeah. Serious issues with artists and artists being taken on and taken on off and six different. It was it was just a challenging uh, and, and, and too bad. But, you know, I think that, you know, once you, when you go right into 
uh, Gail's run. It's it's such a great run, and I go back and I reread it for uh, every so often. Just a really terrific run on, on Oracle. As far as Batgirl, again, um, I did not read uh, Gail Simone's run when it first started. Um, um, I just uh, had a lot of time reconciling the fact that that uh, they had removed Oracle, mm-hmm. um, and 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 over time, I ended up you know reading that run. I was I wasn't particularly fond of it. I thought it was very dark and very mm-hmm. pretty, which is yes. not. I, I do like um, I, I like Cameron. I liked Cameron and um, Brendan Fletcher's run with Babs Babs Tar because I thought it had a lot of energy to it. A lot of Barbara being really uh, kind of happy, which mm-hmm. was good, which was a difference. And also, I think she had a little attitude and a little smarts, and it brought back some of the things that she did. It. I don't think that was a perfect run either, but I, I, I do think it's an easy start for people to get into. And there wasn't a heck of a lot of crossovers, as was under that. So bounce forth, I can't think of anything like I would say, like, oh, we should go and read you know, this one or that one. But uh, I have them all. you and me both uh yeah i think that that's a good people ask me as well and generally my yeah what do you say well i generally say always the first thing out of my mouth is becker you're one by oh my god how stupid it was me not to say (laughs) that yes you're absolutely right and you know the other one that i really love about um barbara which i should just say is um no man's land oh absolutely yeah yeah that's great and the book the book by Greg Rucka, the mm-hmm. prose book. That's that's another one that's great too. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. I do love Batgirl Year One. Yeah, I will say before we, you know, right before we get in that, the one thing that I really did not like about Gail Simone's second Birds of Prey was Hawk. Like that was the one thing that I complained about every single issue. Uh, I just did not like him. But uh, yeah, you're right that I think her first one is her first run was stellar, but then the second one it was just sort of trying to find its footing and could never really get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we are here. The, the actual meat and potatoes of the episode. And the reason yeah. why I asked Sue on is that I'm about to dive into the first appearance of Birds of Prey. Mm. I guess they're not technically officially Birds of Prey. And, you know, these are sort of tests. These are trials. But yep. we can basically say that, you know, this is the first appearance of Birds of Prey. So we've got two issues. And mm-hmm. the first one is Black Canary Oracle, Birds of Prey number yep. one, One Man's Hell. And it was an oversized issue. Yep. Writer Chuck Dixon, penciler Gary Frank, inker John Dell, colorist Sherilyn Van Valkenburg. And according to Mike's Amazing World, shh, don't tell anyone, this was actually released on my birthday, uh, November 21st, 1995, so I happen to be nine years old, Tom Panneries. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How great is that? I know. Okay, so let me give a quick rundown here. So a new industrial complex in Relasia explodes at the opening ceremony. In another scene, a group of men try to carjack Black Canary. She quickly deals with them and heads home where she has messages waiting and bill collectors. One better message, though, Oracle has a job for her. So she leaves for the airport, but her car has just been repoed, so she uses her last few dollars for a cab. Nick Devine gives a talk, and he is attacked by violent protesters, but he is easily able to fight them off and continue his talk, and all the while he's being watched by Oracle. She's suddenly interrupted by a call from her father, Commissioner Gordon, and he wants to take her to dinner, but of course she's busy. Dinah arrives at her destination and picks up the car Oracle has arranged for her in Aston Martin. 
Oracle has left taped instructions, a new costume, clothes, and communications gear for her. So she attends a party thrown by this Nick Divine character. She introduces herself to him and gets him to invite her along. But he has a bodyguard, Lynx, who dislikes her right off the bat and also basically tells Nick who she is. Terrorists attack and Dinah helps defend Nick as Black Canary and he ends up hiring her on even though Lynx doesn't really like it. Nick then meets with the leader of Bawanda to discuss his next project, which happens to be a dam there. Black Canary joins him on the flight to Bawanda. She sees the dam project in the country's abject poverty, and she decides that night that she's going to check out the dam and investigate it. At the dam, she finds it being sabotaged, and Lynx is behind it, and suddenly Dinah realizes that Nick is behind her. So Black Canary is suddenly caught off guard. She's defeated and can do nothing as the dam is blown and many killed downstream. In England, Black Canary arrives, quite unexpectedly, at a meeting between Nick and his next victims. Lynx tries to stop her, but Dinah is ready for her this time, and she easily beats her. She takes down Nick and is tempted to kill him for all the innocents that he has killed, but Oracle talks her down, calling in Scotland Yard to pick him up instead. And Oracle's next mission for her, breaking up a white slavery ring in Santa Prisca. And at the end of this particular issue is a two-page spread of the biography of Oracle and Black Canary. And it's funny that Black Canary's is twice as long as Oracle, but it's also stated that the intent of this particular book is for two supporting characters to strike out on their own together, which I thought was a really nice sentiment given. At the end. And also a little trivia fact that this with this issue, Black Canary starts to wear her new blue, black, and gold costume and stops wearing her fishnet stocking costume that she's known for wearing throughout the past. So I think the most important question to ask right now is how well this story accomplishes the first partnership between Black Canary and Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Well, this is I, I wrote I actually wrote uh, about this a couple of years ago for another site, and it's it's a, I think it's a great issue. I also like to point out it's also the issue where Dinah stops wearing a wig. She sinks yes. into the peroxide, and <laughs> she uh, she she goes full on blonde. And, that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think this this to me is uh, is is a great setup issue. Um, more for me for Dinah than. For for Barbara, I, I think that those opening pages of Canary are just so efficient in helping readers sort of understand uh, Dinah mm-hmm. and why she would end up working with Oracle. The the carjacking where she's you know got the whole, you know, idea that you get the fact that she's a little down on her luck. And we don't see superheroes like that. You don't see superheroes where they're getting calls from bill collectors and being told that her car is going to be repossessed. Right. Um, And you see her sitting on the couch, you know, with the wig in her hand, just going, oh, my God, you know, where is my life going? What am I going to do? And then she gets a call. And she, she, you're right, she takes that last 20 and she goes to the airport in her costume with the fringe jacket on, in the boots. Mm-hmm. And then her life is totally changed. And so I think it does, I think this is, uh, you know, Chuck Dixon, sometimes I don't agree with everything politically, but man, when he was good, he was really good. And this was a really efficient story to take a character from point A to point B 
in less than, say, 10 pages, mm -hmm. and it's really good. As far as Barbara is concerned, um, I think you do get a sense of her as somebody who's going to work with Canary, but you don't get a, an expansive sense mm -hmm. of how powerful she is. You know, she's, a, she's got a computer in front of her in a couple of scenes, but you don't have her, you know, when she gets later on, you know, full Oracle with the six computers and, and, right. and sitting there. But, I mean, you definitely have the sense that this is someone who is uh, has transitioned uh, from one thing to another. And um, I think that uh, they do a good job there, sort of. Um, and, of course, we get to see the, the Joker in this with his, his gun at the door. <laughs> oh, we always have to, don't we? Oh, yeah, we always have to. Yeah, I think that scene that you're talking about is actually one of the most powerful scenes, I think, in this particular issue because Dinah is, like, she's beaten. And she yeah. could, I mean, I, I always see her as one of the most powerful martial artists in the DCU. Yeah. One of the top ten, I would say. And so for her to be down and, you know, saying, I can't, I can't. And Oracle yelling at her yeah. and, you know, saying that, of course you can. And, and having these flashbacks with Batman, her father, and Joker, I think is a really tense moment. But it, it shows that these two are similar, just, you mm -hmm. know, in, in different ways. And I think that's, it makes them very complimentary as characters. And I think that's why that this, you know, particular team works and yeah. is able to undergo so many miles in the comics. I agree. I agree. As for the, this particular story with the villain, and everything, I really liked that it was a street based villain, as I say, you know, rather mm -hmm. than like a superpower, you know, like doomsday or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and I like the fact that this case doesn't require sheer power and fighting, but it necessitates investigation first, yeah, you know, along with some obvious fighting skills. So Dinah has to work it sort of from both ends and Oracle has to help out, which I thought was nice. Um, obviously, it spreads out the story. It makes it a bit longer, but I think it's better than just let's go in with our fists and, and finish the problem. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I like, I'll, I'll tell you one thing I really like about this story too, or at least this issue, and I think you see a little bit more of it in Chuck Dixon's run, is that they show Barbara doing a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. She's swimming. Yep. She's exercising. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I mean, you get, as you get further on into the Birds of Prey, you, you know, your, your constant image of your iconic image of, of Oracle is like sitting at the computer. Mm-hmm. But here they, they seem to really try and mix it up a little bit and to make Oracle seem like she was, um, you know, just doing, not always sitting, you know, in front of her computer. She had, you know, she had like a speaker phone, which she's doing her swimming. She's talking to Dinah. And I, and I really thought that was, that was interesting um, to, to be able to see Barbara doing all these kind of things to keep herself fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I remember she was throwing her uh, ninja stars. Yeah, as yeah. Well. Her ninja star. And then and then all the time, Dinah is always saying like, "What's that sound?" You know, and things like that. So yeah, it's fun to learn a little bit about Babs in, in small ways. Which right. you know, if we're to put ourselves in like new reader mode, and this could be the first time that we've ever read Barbara, you would wonder who she was, and you would realize she's not just someone who's in a chair who has some tech ability, but clearly there's something about her, like she has some sort of past with her right. so I think she's intriguing for new readers as well yeah yeah what, what did you think about the the relationship between Dinah and Barbara first portrayed because you know that radio communication is really all we have and of course Dinah doesn't know who Barbara is at that time but do you think like the the narration and and the writing fits that this is the first time that they've really talked and does it seem to go well 
it, it, you know, it's it, it's interesting that you know, you get a, put it in perspective. You know, Dinah doesn't know whether Oracle is a man or a woman at this mm-hmm. point. She just knows it's this disembodied. She doesn't know it's Barbara Gordon. She doesn't know it's Batgirl. She just has this disembodied voice who's doing this. And, it, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of weirdly creepy. You know, she goes to this hotel room and there's these flowers for her. Just <laughs> this clothing that's picked out in her, in her size. You know, mm-hmm. she's gone. Barbara's like, I've done catalog shopping, you know, time and clearly, clearly before, you know, internet creates an entirely new costume for her. And, you you know, it, it, it's, that's why I think Dixon's friend end of the book is so important because Dinah's life has got to suck enough mm-hmm. <laughs> that she would feel that being directed by a anonymous computer voice who's telling her where to go would be a really great option for her. And I think that Dinah has, you know, has exactly, you know, sort of the right attitude. I'm kind of, kind of inquisitive, mm-hmm. kind of smart, very confident. You know, you can see Dinah's confidence come way the hell back, you know, starts at the beginning. She's like, got bills coming in. Now she stands, she, when she walks into that room with the blonde hair that she's dyed in the black, the black, long black evening gown. She's about to right. rip off the bottom <laughs> so that she can go and yeah. I love that scene. Ah, stress. <laughs> what is this? Armani? I don't care. I got to go get this guy. Um, so I think the relationship is, is created really, really quickly and nicely because, you know, Barbara kind of has tapped into Canary needs something and Canary's tapped into, eh, I'm not really sure what's going on, but this is what I need. So mm-hmm. they're together. And of course, you know, their relationship will go on for, you know, almost two years, I think, right? Yeah. Until the issue, was it 27? When did she find out? That she's yeah, it was during the Hunt for Oracle story. Hunt for, Hunt yeah. for Oracle, that, you know, who she is. She's Bob. Yeah. Do you think that Oracle has contacted Dinah before? Because she doesn't call her Black Canary, but she calls her Dinah. Or do you think this is the first time that she's actually used her? Yeah, I, I, I think it's... I don't know. You know, it's a good point. Had there been a, a a thing in the background that she knew of her? Did maybe maybe Dinah knew or had heard of? Well, she doesn't really. I guess Oracle wasn't even established. Was Oracle? Where was Oracle before this? Help me remind me, Stella. Where was Barbara and Oracle before this? Was this before No Man's Land? It is before No Man's Land. Yes. Oh, okay. So Barbara would have been, what would Barbara have been doing at this point? Suicide Squad, right? Uh, Suicide Squad is over, and she's sort of been dancing around in different things. Yeah. Um, She helped Asriel out recently. Um, Yeah. And and, uh, she was in Detective, like, she's just been sort of dancing around. So so she, um, I don't know, you know, it's a good question. I've never really thought about that. Did they know each other? Did she know of an Oracle because of, 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 uh, of Justice League? I don't know. Maybe, yeah. It hasn't been shown. No, it has not been shown. But uh, I just wondered since, you know. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good thing to wonder. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe Oracle was a, a little bit of a a legend at that time. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a good thing to think about. Yeah. Another thing to think about, you notice Bruce Wayne in this particular issue. Yeah. You remember, and he's about to give some money to yeah. uh, Nick Devine. Yeah. And so I wonder how much he knows and whether he's the one who gave Oracle the hint to look into Devine. That could be it. That could be it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, it does seem like she comes across him in pretty class. Maybe does yeah, that could be that could definitely be it. That's a good point. I just feel like Bruce Wayne doesn't appear in a book. No, no, or yeah, or 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 that that they have to have Bruce Wayne in a book <laughs> because they won't have a book with two women and no Batman. So true, very true. As for how they talk and everything, I feel like they have good chemistry right off the bat. I think that they yeah. quickly gain familiarity. There's quipping and conversation, and of course, Donna gets really upset with her and like tells her to shut up. So you know. What, what are best friends for? No, I love that. I do yeah. love there's There is immediate, there is immediate um, chemistry and there's immediate sort of like, even though she doesn't know that Barbara is a woman technically, I mean, there's definitely, you know, like Barbara calls her, Oh, Hey girlfriend, you know? Right. So, I mean, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of chemistry between the two of them. So the last thing I want to talk about is the art, the design yeah. of Barbara and Babs, the new costume design. And also, do you feel like there's a, a quote-unquote cheesecake factor with this particular story? Well, first of all, the thing that I always amazes me about this is that it's Gary Frank. Mm-hmm. And this does not look like later Gary Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she, oh, yeah, there's definitely cheesecake. Okay. I mean, Definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, I think there's one panel that's just Dinah's cleavage, if I'm not mistaken. Let me see. Pretty clear that she's in her uniform and Barbara. Oh, yeah, that's it. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just one of her zipping up, you know, zipping up the uh, the thing. Yeah, there's a lot of cheesecake in it. Um, but I think that it, I guess it didn't bother me as much for some reason. Um, because you really, you're talking about Black Canary, who at that time, you know, uniform was basically one of the more cheesecakey one mm-hmm. in terms of elements. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, you're right. You know, as you said at the start, you know, the, 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 the sort of black bathing suit with the, um, with the fishnets mm-hmm. and a wig, you know, gets turned into the Black Canary. So yeah, I think it's a little cheesecake. And Barbara, on the other hand, you know, I don't think there's any, any real cheesecake involved mm-hmm. with her. No. She cut, you know, that's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, but Dinah, Dinah gets, and Dinah gets a lot of cheesecake throughout Chuck Dixon's run. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, there's a couple of butt shots in here too. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm not frankly that, that surprised by, but it, it didn't really bother me. I think that one panel of like, well, that really doesn't tell much of a story, does it? <laughs> just, just, just her cleavage, but right. uh yeah, no, it's uh, it's a little off, and the, and I also felt. Now I'm looking at my trade version of this. I do have the individual issue, but I could find my trade a little bit easier. Is the colors are really off at some points? You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of shininess <laughs> to the cleavage as well. So yeah, I think that has something to do with it. I think the one thing that threw me off because I, I I feel like. You're absolutely right that this happens to Dinah a lot. <laughs> so I guess, you know, you should just go with it. But when she's walking around town in her old costume. Oh, yeah. And like going to the airport and no one is even giving her a second glance. Yeah. Like this is completely normal. I thought, what is going on? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. No, look. Oh, look. Look at that woman. And no, because it's, <laughs> it's the, I love that. It's like, I'm just going to wear the costume. But you know what? This fringe jacket is going to look really good, you know, <laughs> with it. So, and then checks into the, what, what is it? I love that. The Ritz Marlton, not the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. 
the Ritz Marlton Hotel. Who? Oh, you know, I'm sure they would have kicked her out of the lobby. <laughs> the Ritz Carlton. So she I had to go so. to the Ritz Marlton. Yeah. Just a short note about Lynx. Chuck Dixon and Tom Lyle actually created her, and she'd be a big figure in No Man's Land and War Games. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pops up yet again. Do you think that yeah. she is a good match for Dinah, blow for blow? Do you think it's a good villainess to have? Um, yeah, you know, I had, I, I, when I went back and I read this, I'm like, I looked at the picture, I was flipping through the issue, I'm like, is that, is that, is that Cheshire? I'm like, yeah. no, that's not Cheshire. She, Cheshire had both her eyes. So who is this? And I'm like, I remember it was Lynx. I think it's, it's, it's fine. I mean, she, you know, you need to give Dinah a little bit of a, of a challenge. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not, you know, it makes a lot of sense for Chuck to sort of build Lynx up a little bit since he was going to use her, mm-hmm. um, in other books. So uh, she seems fine. I just, I just can't remember what Lynx's story is. Yeah. So I just pretend she's Cheshire. There you go. That works out. <laughs> and it's nice that it seems like a very female heavy issue. Oh, yeah. Story, you know, whereas yeah. Nick is really the only man that sort of stands out in my mind. So I think that's great. Yeah. Chuck actually um, had a lot of input from Jordan Garfinkel on this. Jordan was the one who came up with this particular pairing. He was the one who brings it together. And I believe... And I don't have it in front of me. I believe Jordan is the one who writes at the back of the book. Yes. About bringing these two characters who've been kicking around DC as supporting characters. And now they're brought together. So I think that he has a lot of, uh, and I've, and I've spoken to, to Jordan a couple of times offline. You know, he, I think wanted this to be a very female centric book. They wanted this to be a book for uh, the female characters and, and probably potentially for the female audience as well. That's great. Well, out of 10, what would you give this if you were to rate it? As a introduction to the birds of prey, I would give this like an 8.5. Okay. I'm going to raise you slightly and say that it's a nine out of 10. I, I think it's a great introduction. I yeah. Think it gives you what you need to know about these particular characters. Yeah. And it seems like already building some good chemistry between them. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Our second and last issue that we are covering is Showcase 96, number three. And I just wanted to give some background to Showcase. It's actually been the title of several comic anthology series that's been published by DC Comics. And the general theme of these series has been to feature new and minor characters as a way to gauge reader interest in them without the difficulty and risk of featuring untested characters in their own ongoing titles. The original series ran from March through April 1956 to September 1970, suspending publication with issue number 93. And then it was revived for 11 issues from August 77 to September 78. And then DC revived the showcase title in 93 when sort of this reluctance to order new untested series had largely vanished and it was replaced in the 90s with reader enthusiasm for you know the number one issues of new series which seems to perpetuate newsstands now all these number ones so the new series was published as showcase 93 a monthly 12 issue limited series and replaced by 94 etc and the last issue was showcase 96 number 12 so we're on the last series here so once again this is showcase 96 number three birds of the feathers the the story and it's actually the one that is featured on the cover you see lois and black canary the script was by jordan b gorfinkel layouts Jennifer Graves finishes Stan Walk, 
and colors Dave Graff. And also featured in this particular issue was Mercy Killing featuring Dead Man and Acts of God featuring Light Ray. And the publishing date was March 1996. And this takes place in Metropolis, just to focus ourselves there. So the story begins in Medias Race with Black Canary and Lois Lane fighting off some red hooded thugs. We learn that Dinah tracked a workforce supply ship from Santa Prisca, so potentially tying into the end of the previous story that we just reviewed, where Dinah was going to stop a white slavery ring. This workforce supply ship has gone from Santa Prisca to Metropolis, and Lois happens to be investigating this very same slavery. They are overwhelmed by the numbers, and Oracle gives Dinah directions to higher ground. On the way up, they pass the workforce who seem just like zombies. They're attentive to their own work, except for one particular person who acknowledges their presence. Above the workplace, the birds are once again overwhelmed and then zapped with some green energy by the foreman. Three hours and 27 minutes later, they awaken, imprisoned, and with no way out at the moment, and they decide to discuss their man problems. So Lois says that her fiancé broke up with her, a.k.a. Superman, and Dinah explains that her love, Green Arrow, died in a plane over Metropolis, and she says that he deserved it, which is a little cold. (laughs) Suddenly, a block moves, a block from the wall, and a worker appears, Lee, and he is the one who actually acknowledged Lois's presence when they were running away. He helps them out and leads them through some tunnels to a position directly above the foreman. Dinah drops in, but the foreman's zapping takes her out once again. Oracle has an idea that the zaps are not actually physical and tells Dinah to give her earpiece to Lee. So in a moment of courage, Lee stands up for himself and everyone else, demanding freedom. The foreman zaps him, but he remains standing, encouraging other workers to cry for freedom as well. So Dinah then KOs the foreman and the workforce is freed. Later, Oracle explains to Dinah that the foreman's powers may have manifested themselves as visible energy bursts, but they were actually purely psionic in nature. So the earpiece that Lee had played the Beatles in in order to protect his brain helped him out. Before Lois and Dinah part, Lois asks if Dinah really meant it that Green Arrow deserved to die. And Dinah replies that she sacrificed the best years of her life to him. And ultimately, the only lasting commitment he ever made was to a whole city. And Lois can certainly relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) And that is the end of Suitcase 96, number three. Okay, well, this is the second adventure between Oracle and Black Canary. But really, what, what takes the focus is Black Canary and Lois. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think about this as well as sort of starting the trend of a rotating roster because people would come in and out like Power Girl and, and people like that? Well, I'm a huge Lois Lane fan and there's not a lot of Lois' stories out there, um, you know, in modern in sort of modern era where Lois sort of goes off and, and does cool stuff. There's like the uh, girl frenzy issue. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, then there was the issue that the Lois Lane number one they did uh, a couple of years ago by Marguerite Bennett. So I, I love the idea that Lois is just like, you know, hanging out and, and throwing punches and kicks just like, <laughs> like Canary. Yeah. Um, it's uh, and, and, and the fact that they, you know, and it's interesting. Well, Canary's in her, you know, her new costume. Uh, but, you know, uh, Lois is just like in some jeans and, and Converse <laughs> sneakers and, and a green T-shirt, not even like a nice T-shirt, just like this old T-shirt that she's doing. And I, and I love it because that's Lois. I mean, Lois, like, 
it's she's she's got a nose to news. So I I kind of disappointed now that I read this again that they didn't have Lois Lane show up again to the Birds of Prey. The last yeah. next time we saw Lois was when she was staring down Oracle uh, in Gail Simone's line when they were gonna like uh, reveal secrets to each other. <laughs> yeah. And 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 so I, I thought it was it was kind of fun to see the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. You know, thinking about what could have been, it would have been great to sort of have her as a soldier on the ground and, and maybe helping get information for Oracle. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if I perceive her as like one of the per- who could always be out in the field, though I right. do know that Lois can handle herself as she right. demonstrated here. But I think she would be a valuable member to the Birds of Prey. So it is sort of sad that, you know, the second issue, we, we don't have her reappearing since it is pretty Right, popular. right. Do you see this as a potential sequel to the other one? There's like a tenuous connection with that. Or do you just feel like this, like the other one, is a standalone story that's just sort of building up these characters? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this, an assumption that you have to kind of know who who Oracle is and why she's working with Black Canary. But um, I don't see it as like a, a real sequel mm-hmm. uh, to it. I think it's a tenuous sequel. I think they were trying to... Um, start finding stories that they they could they could put um, you know Barbara and and uh, Dinah together as the as the core cast members. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it definitely sort of has um, you know Oracle being all Oracle and and Dinah uh, being you know really as you said um, you know very uh, harsh about mm-hmm. <laughs> a dead Green Arrow, not right. just you know really angry and, and mm-hmm. upset about that. Yeah. And I wonder if that connects, if it illuminates anything of her, like, situation in the previous issue that we, we talked about. Like, yeah. her being down on her walk, I wonder if this is also, like, part of her disposition now, all stemming from this. I'm not sure, yeah. like, the sequence of events, but those two issues, they happen very closely together, so I just wonder. Right, right. Yeah, because in the first issue, I mean, he's definitely dead. Right, um, yeah. and And you don't see her grieving over him she's mm-hmm. more grieving over the the circumstances that you know she's been left in and and now you see a little bit more about the fact that you know he's gone and left him i mean yeah dinah dinah was going through a lot yeah. I mean, she was definitely going through a lot which maybe can help you know explain some of her um idiotic behavior later in chuck's run when oh. she starts dating uh ross oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah she makes some poor life decisions <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she starts off pretty smart, and then she slowly but surely loses some of her brain cells, so. Well, right throughout this, I sort of saw the theme of love and sacrifice. Yeah. Do you think it works well with this overall mission, you know, to to free this white slavery ring? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I I think the white slavery ring is a little, the the story's a little disjointed, and, you know, there's brain pulses, and... (laughs) stuff going on and people are being held and you're yeah. like is this in a third world country is this in in metropolis i mean it's short i know that's <laughs> probably the direction here you, yeah. you get like you got 11 pages going mm. right the story and it was and it's written by jordan so i think he probably um you know he wanted to 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 continue to build you know this this peering that he had done i think it works fine um, I the thing that I, I i was i don't know who that artist is i never heard of her again uh, Jennifer Groves. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting to see that they had a, a female artist because there really aren't that many female, weren't that many female right. artists on DC Comics. Um, but I 
can't think of anything that I've ever seen her name attached to again. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. Yeah, you're right about this this small format. Uh, and it reminds me of, you know, the detective comics from back in, in the, the Silver and Bronze where right. Barbara would only have 10 pages to, you know, have a story resolved. And, and if she was lucky, she would be able to have like a part one and then the next issue would have a part two. Right. But because they have this this shortened story or page count, was it worth it to have sort of girl time out and talk about, you know, the, <laughs> the problems with their current love life? Do you think well, it's I, worth it? Does it? I, I think I think it it brought the connection between. Lo- I think I think it probably was. You know, it brought more of a connection to lo- Lois Lane. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, obviously, and there, and it gives you that. You know, it gives you that big free freeze frame sort of like serial comedy thing. Like, hmm, gives me something to think about. Freeze <laughs> frame. You know, like yeah. Lois and Superman about, you know, somebody, a man, you know, a, a character sacrificing it. But I think it was the right balance. I mean, it was the right balance of them talking about their lives. I mean, you know, they don't know each other. They're thrown into the basement of a, a building. Like factory, yeah. So, yeah, so they're going to talk about something and try and find commonality. Who do you know that I know? So it's a little bit realistic in that. So now we, we transition from, you know, our previous issue. We had, like I said, street level where people didn't really have, the villains didn't have any superpowers were... Now we have a villain that has superpowers this time. How did you like him? Are you okay with him having superpowers? Do you think he works well with this story? Well, I think it's fine to have him with superpowers because you've got, you know, the girlfriend and or wife, because I can't really remember where we are. This would have been 96, 97, of the biggest superhero, superpowered superhero in the world, mm-hmm. right? Superman, right? So the 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 first issue, as you pointed, had Bruce Wayne in it, very street right. level, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have Lois Lane, so you're going to be talking about super superhero and super, mm-hmm. so superpowers in Metropolis are not unusual. Mm-hmm. Gotham, a little bit different. Yeah, it's very true. Yep. And I like that there is sort of a depth to his powers, like all is not as it, you know, seems. Yeah. And it's also ironic that Donna's not technically the one to take him down. I mean, I guess literally she does, but, you know, it's Lee who's the one who is able to um, get everyone to rise up and, and go against him, which I thought was nice. Yeah, I think it was nice too. It avoided sort of the white sa- savior uh, right. yeah. Yeah, trope, which is, um, which is pretty sophisticated you see it so often in uh in comics and of course we have barbara again in her pool i mean we don't think we see barbara in her pool for a long time after the uh after this but um yeah she's like hanging out with her little speaker or her little ring yeah speaker phone love it (laughs) yeah yeah it's good to see and I think this goes towards representation and, and properly representing someone who has a disability. In Suicide Squad, you saw how she, if she wanted to go and get groceries, but she's at the top floor of this apartment that she lives in and the elevator's broken, then clearly she can't go and get groceries. So it's nice right. to see, like, you know, she's still active. Well, how can someone who's in a wheelchair stay active? And it's nice to get that glimpse that's realistic. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, one of the, the great things about Oracle is that she brings a new dimension to the Barbara Gordon character as well as giving representation to people who don't really have that representation. Yeah, so. I agree. Well, how would you compare this to the, the previous story? Do you like this one more, less, or about the same? 
Um, I like this a little bit less. I mean, I certainly liked having um, Lois in there. It was definitely a different story. I mean, the first one was really that that really tight collaboration between Oracle and, and Dinah, which I like. And this one, Oracle was a little step back, and it was let more Lois and Dinah. I just, I, I, I think the first, you know, the first issue is just a really terrific mm-hmm. first issue um, in setting up a lot longer, a little bit more. More nuance, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, this is—it's fine, you know. I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's not a story that would go, oh, and now the second one hits it out of the ballpark as well. <laughs> I thought it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, what would you give it out of ten? Uh, maybe a seven. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'll raise you a little bit again and give it an eight. But I agree yeah. that I think the the previous one was stronger. Yeah. Uh, but I do like that Lois appears, and I think oh, yeah. it gets this idea of Oracle and. Black Canary is sort of the status quo of the birds, but then we can have these rotating cast members come in and help out wherever the story or the situation needs, which I think is nice. Oh, yeah. And they will. They'll have, I think Catwoman comes into it. Yeah, that she does. And and, then Helena, right? And um, Huntress, so. And then Power Girl, but there's some strife between her and (laughs) Bob. Yes. So there's some drama there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of drama. A lot of drama. This is starting a big era. I never thought I would get to Birds of Prey, and here we are. There you go. I know. You've st- and so what issue did you start with, Stone? I start with her original. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Detective 359. Oh, my so gosh. Here we are. There you go. That is a <laughs> lot. Of, that's right, because you've done a lot of the Bronze Age stuff, too. Yep. Wow. Yep. What's but, your favorite Bronze Age story, like, of all, now that you've done all of them? What's your yeah. favorite? I think I really loved the crossovers with Superman when he came to uh, to Washington. That, you know, I love those issues, too. Yeah. Those were great. And and you almost want, because Bruce was kind of trying to set them up. And so yeah, you yeah. wonder, are they going to date or not? But yeah, yeah I think they're, they're fun stories. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. She has, you know, it's interesting tracing her history. Just with the the tro- you said you know that she grows and you you see how dynamic the character is, but she undergoes trouble spots just like Dinah does, you know, and she lost her congressional seat. She was very yeah. much down in her do- in the dumps. Oh yeah. And there's a really terrible character moment I feel with uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths where she felt like she was nothing. Oh um, yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out, but you know she always sort of comes out of it. Oftentimes it's because of her father, which I think is is amazing. But yeah, it's great to just trace it and and see how everything has, uh, you know, how she's changed throughout the years. Have you done any of the um, the comic strips, the the Sunday strips? That I they have do? not. No. Yeah, yeah. I, you might. You, you, there's there's a collection uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the the first. The first one, and I think the second one too, which was the comic strip that ran, um, has a lot of Barbara Gordon stories in it too. So she's actually was much more prominent than I had thought she would be in it. So you might want to check those out. Yeah, I'll have to. I think is IDW collecting those? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So they may make an appearance on here. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, could you please tell listeners where they can find and support you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I am, uh, my blog is DC Women Kicking Ass, uh, .tumblr.com. That is my Tumblr. And I am um, available uh, also on Twitter at DC Women Kicking. And that's the big difference. It's not kicking, it's because character count K I C K N ass on Twitter.com. And I'm 
on Twitter a lot more sometimes than I am uh, on the uh, on the blog. But you can uh, find me there, and um, you know, happy to happy to hear from people and hear thoughts and. You know, and uh, I'm always recommending comics on Wednesday, on, uh, Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. I'm running my picks of the week, um, what comics you, you might want to pick up. Running some uh, interviews, hoping to interview some of the people from Rebirth. So hopefully those will be going up soon. And uh, that's it. I have to say one of the um, one that, one of your recent tweets that made me laugh because it made me laugh because it's so true was when that new like Ultimate Batman versus Superman trailer came out and you. We're crying out, you know, Snyder, you had one job, one job, <laughs> and Barbara Gordon's hair is blonde, and it's uh, not red, and I thought, thank you. I mean, it's 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 just, I don't know. Well, I guess people could, like, yell at us, like, it's just one thing, you know, but no. she's so well known for her red hair. Like, that's a character trait. Why not? Well, here's the thing. We got a Batgirl in uh you know in the previous uh, well the previous before the previous batman versus robin right or batman and robin movie mm-hmm. and they made her into a blonde mm-hmm. and they also made her into alfred's niece yeah. okay but so okay so that's that took a lot of time for me to process and i still refuse to do anything with barbara wilson everything <laughs> the thing that was so surprising was is that they had shown so many pictures of jenna malone dyeing her hair red right somebody made the assumption you know she was either going to be carrie kelly or mm-hmm. she was going to be barbara gordon and then you know we found out she was indeed going to be barbara gordon because of something the studio had done a survey before they had done the final cut and they listed jenna malone in the role of barbara gordon so we know that she's going to be barbara gordon we know she's not going to be batgirl either because they've said very you know sort of like well she's not she's definitely not batgirl so we assume my assumption is she's going to be Oracle. But like, come on! Mm-hmm. But it was, I was I, I enjoyed it because people were trying to go like you know it's it could be a wig, she could be in disguise. Oh, and then there were people who were just like, oh she's she's not even she, who told you she was Barbara? She's definitely Vicky Vale. So oh like, what what? Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm hoping for those of you who are kind enough to say you know maybe she's in disguise. Mm-hmm. And uh, that she is like you know brought herself into the office at the at the thing because mm-hmm. I do I do I did recognize in the very quick thing she was sitting down she's seated next to Lois mm. she's talking she's not standing she's mm-hmm. sitting next to Lois so I'm hoping that perhaps she's using a disguise and and there's red hair underneath there Stella and uh, <laughs> you know if there's a Batgirl doll somewhere like buy the computer display, I'll forgive Snyder forever. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's all we need. I'll get yes. a buy on that one. Yeah. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to finally <laughs> talk with you, especially about everything, but, you know, about these uh, first appearances. Of oh, yeah. No, it's well. been terrifically fun. Thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, always, I, I really respect you, Stella, because oh, you. Um, you are, um, you know, you, you've, you've had so many great people on, um, you know, uh, the show, I, I loved listening to you, uh, your interview that you did, uh, that you've done with people about, I think you did both Chuck and Scott, um, Mm -hmm. for, uh, Batgirl year one. And uh, I know you've had Denny O'Neill on and others. And I think that you, uh, have a great passion for Oracle and, um, it's great that you're very even handed a lot of times, you know, you, 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 you take the good and you take the bad. I have a lot of respect for that because I do not. (laughs) 
too. I have I have way too much passion, and I'm sure I've burned some bridges for <laughs> my thing. But I respect the fact that you you are you are first focused as a as a Barbara Gordon fan, and you've and you've really um, uh, helped me get a better understanding of Barbara by um, the many guests you've come home so uh, come to. So I I, I really do appreciate. Um, the support you give to that character and to fill in the, you know, the background of her. And, and she has such a wonderful history. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. And I hope that one day you and I can meet. Well, you never know. I mean, Comic-Con I, or something. I, I, I did a podcast with Kelly Thompson for five years and I've never met her. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is how it works, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But I do, I would, I would love to meet you someday. So let's, let's figure out where we're going to be in the same place. Absolutely. So, Sue, before you go, are you Team Donovan or Team Shag? Uh, I'm going to go with Team Donovan. Okay. Do you have any reasoning behind this? Uh, because I, I, don't, I don't know. It sounds a little bit more normal than Shag. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm thinking Shaggy from Scooby-Doo is what I, when you were, you were saying. I don't know who these people are at all. So. Okay. Well, he'll, he'll take that as when. Okay. <laughs> um, well, thanks again so much. Oh, thank you. Now for some listener emails. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. here. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. This is actually the complete opposite of last episode because there are only two comments to go through and no emails, so maybe it's because I'm recording this early, who knows, but maybe it's good to have a little break and then next month maybe we will have some more people. So both of these are comments on episode 118. First up from Ian Miller. He says, interesting perspectives on the end of the series. As someone who, as poor Stella knows after all my complaining, hasn't really loved the Burnside Batgirl run, I actually really enjoyed the ending issues. I guess if you didn't like something, it's more fun to see it come to an end. But if you do love something, it's very hard, just as it was really hard when Brian Q. Miller said farewell to Steph in Batgirl 24. I do think it's a bit arbitrary, but I like that Stewart is closing the run out with some continuity with the annual and his other series. It ties everything together and makes it feel a bit more essential reading rather than just, well, we have to print two more issues to reach 52. I will say that I feel like Brendan Fletcher has more taken the reins on these issues rather than the whole team but just a little note there. Your comments about religion and specifically Christian representation in the media are well taken and I think go along with what I was saying about race in my column, that so many characters in general are just not that well written and this includes their race, sex, sexuality, and religion. I made a comment on the Grayson number 20 review that I'm looking forward to Dick and Birds of Prey crossing over because I'm partially a Dick Helena shipper. What does Stella think of that ship? Lastly, it was really nice to have Ed on the cast. He was really great and very funny, though I hope poor Dustin doesn't listen. And of course, Dustin responds, he's my other comment, and he says, oh, I listened, or oh, I listened. (laughs) So there you go. Thanks, Ian, for writing in. And to respond to your uh, Dick and Helena shipper, well, now there is that moment in, is it number 20? I'm not sure, but the, the last issue, I guess, where... And I actually pulled it out. I cut the panel and I posted it on Facebook for Tom Panneries because at one point it says to Helena, it says that, you know, the only person 
that Dick ever really loved was named Barbara Gordon. And I thought, yes, vindicated. I will say, though, that I did enjoy the relationship between Dick and Helena throughout the pages of Grayson. I felt like, you know, when New 52 began, he was sort of one of these characters, along with Batman, that they were just throwing women at him, you know, to have sex with, which I thought was... Well, disgusting, let's be honest. Remember on the plane with, uh, what was her name, Raina? Gosh, what was her name? But you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, here, when he, he came over, obviously there was that, uh, you know, there was some sexual tension there, but there was that attraction. But I think they were building it up, you know, a little bit more. And, you know, they weren't sleeping together. I don't know if they did at all, actually, in the pages of Grayson. But, you know, I, I think that the, that desire was there, but... There was also a relationship that was blooming, uh, you know, getting to know each other and mutual affection and respect and everything. So I will say that although I am a Dick and Bab shipper through and through, that I did enjoy how Dick and Helena were portrayed in this particular, in, in the pages of Grayson. Now, as for, you know, crossovers with Birds of Prey and everything, that'd be a little dicey. I mean, do you realize what you're saying? Because it's not... Birds of Prey, it's Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, so if there's anything, that's going to be a super awkward love triangle, and of course, Dada has seen uh, Dick Grayson naked at one point in, uh, in Birds of Prey way back, you know, pre-Flashpoint, but it would be interesting to have that crossover, but one of the questions I want to know when talking about Rebirth is sort of what form or what identity it is that we're going to be viewing when we talk about Helena. I, I think... It probably does relate to Spiral, but does this change anything with her character history and, you know, where are we going back? Was she ever Huntress before? Like, you know, things like that. Just many questions with Rebirth. Well, that's all we have. Thank you for writing in. Again, you can email me, backgirltheoracle at gmail.com, or like Ian and Dustin did, you can always comment on the episode on the batmanuniverse.net and, of course, where the episode posts. Well, I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, it's just going to be me reviewing. I'm going to review the final issues until they come back, of course. Uh, Backworld number 52 and Gotham Academy number 18, so the end of these eras here. But first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring This Is Not The End by Gungor.
Welcome back. Thanks again to Sue for coming on. That was just such a pleasure to be able to talk with her. And again, just one of those people that I have, you know, followed on either Tumblr or Twitter and to have them on my show is just really great and humbling as well. But here I am on my own and I'm going to be talking about these last two issues of these two series that I've been doing. So first up, it is Batgirl 52, Turning the Page. Writer Brendan Fletcher, artist Eleanor Carlini and Ming-Wei Jung, and colors Sergei Lapointe. Gladius Commander has taken the students at Gotham Academy hostage. While this is going on, Batgirl, Vixen, Black Canary, Frankie, Spoiler, and Bluebird, hello, are coming up with a plan based on Babs' overwhelming knowledge of the layout of the library. Of course she would have that knowledge. Maps and Olive give Gladius some resistance, but it's not until the Batgirl squad arrives that things start to heat up. They take down the commander, even though she went all Iron Spider, if you're a Marvel fan you'll know what that means, and had several mech arms with swords, but it turns out that she was not even the true commander. Gladius commander stole Maps' maps and used them to find her way through the bowels of the academy to the Negahedron. She captures the core before Batgirl's team gets there. However, the blueprints are at Gordon Clean Energy, where a surprise party for Babs is about to be held. So Babs spoils the surprise and gets the partygoers out as they search for the commander. Frankie discovers the files have already been downloaded and Babs goes after the commander and basically takes her down with her cape. The police are grateful and hope that Batgirl will stick around, which is a little bittersweet. At the reestablished surprise party, Babs thanks everyone and has small moments with individuals who have meant something to her over the past 17 issues. Finally, Babs says goodbye to Frankie and Dinah, gives Dinah her keys, and apparently Vixen is staying on the couch, and then leaves with her Batgirl suit in a duffel. Not the end. Well... I think my, my question in the previous episode was answered about which library Babs was frequenting. Apparently, this is, in fact, on the campus of Gotham Academy, which I still think is a little strange that you have a public library on that. Because I'm just sort of thinking about, you know, I'm around the University of Virginia, and of course it has libraries and everything, but they're not technically public. While I could go into them, you know, you do need to have... Uh, some sort of user ID or a Virginia, you know, ID, either alumni or to, to check something out. So it's just, it's a little strange. Batgirl team, let's talk about this. Why isn't this the Birds of Prey roster? I think part of me is like nostalgia. You know, you have, that's the key member. I'm looking right now in my living room at a poster that I have that has Oracle, you know, the clock tower, you have Dinah and Helena on screens above her. I'm sure you've seen this poster. And that's the dream team. So nostalgia purposes, I totally see what you're doing. But man, if you want to continue with continuity and have things that are already set up, not random at all, because we've been, you know, trying these team members out, you've already got all of these. And so I do wonder about, you know, why not connect to this era that we've been building up? I like the importance that Maps plays, especially in this particular issue, as well as the potential threat that Olive had and her almost starting a fire. And we really haven't visited that for five issues in Gotham Academy, so it's good to, to see that again. I think there's a good fight against the, the fake commander. All the members of the team are helping out, you know, mainly because she has all those mech arms and everything. So it's good that we do have a fight and we can see how this team works together. It's also a big issue for Babs, using her memory and detective skills to figure out where the commander was going and what to do. So if there's any 
concern, I guess, about, you know, who Barbara Gordon is or, you know, what the status of her brain is, I guess this may clear that up for you. This issue also ties into Gordon Queen energy in an interesting way, you know, not only with the party, but also with the blueprints and Beckerl's cave, trying to show all aspects of Babs' current life, uh, which is interesting because we're about to leave it behind at the same time as it's really been established. The real commander seems to be taken down too easily, perhaps because of the trouble that Beckerl had in the previous issue. So you know, compared to that. So I wonder what changed. Was it just because her life was more on track at this point in time? So she got over self-esteem issues? Was it a page issue, you know, with more time spent on other things and then only a few pages left? Or was it a way to end on a positive note, you know, with Batgirl really conquering her with confidence? I really like the double page spread of the party and how it's laid out with Babs visiting people and remembering back to important moments. And if you think back to Batgirl 35 with that party, it's sort of a nice little ring composition there and is laid out in a very similar way. The final page is heartwarming. It's keeping it simple with probably the two most important people in Barbara Gordon's life. And it's funny that still more people are sleeping on the couch, which I think Frankie is probably annoyed at, even though she's joking about it as well. I do wonder whether it's a good idea for Babs to take the suit with her. If she needs to get away, should she really be on, you know, a Batman sabbatical, like what happened after Infinite Crisis? You know, no heroing, just learning who Babs is. But here you're, you know, if, if she wants to get away and sort of learn about herself, I feel like maybe bringing the Batgirl suit is not the way to do that because you're, I mean, that's your other life. So if you're trying for something new, you've got something, a crutch holding you back. So the big question is, was this a good ending for the series? I don't know if this is the villain that I would have chosen for the end, but it does tie in many parts of Babs' life and overall has a positive ending. I just feel like it's been done too many times to have any sort of impact. You know, this idea of I'm having trouble right now with my current state of affairs. I need to get away and find myself. Uh, We've had that. And uh, I will say again that I don't think it's a good idea to push away the people that mean to you in order to get away. I think those are the people that are able to boost you up, you know, in many ways. Like I said, you know, when she was down about losing her congressional seat, Jim Gordon was there. When she was down about her general superheroine, Supergirl was there. So, you know, this is just something that I I feel like maybe this is not the best direction, but we will see how it is handled with Rebirth starting in, I guess, August is when Batgirl comes out. So we'll see what happens. So overall, I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10 bats. Uh, the whole Batgirl series, oh gosh, that's sort of hard, isn't it? Of course, I, I really like the the Burnside run, so I think I would give that probably an 8.5 out of 10. Uh, but if I were to think about the whole New 52 added with this, uh, it may bring the whole thing down to uh, <laughs> 6.5, maybe? Yeah, or 7 or something like that. So, uh, you know, it had its good and bad moments, but it is nice to read about Barbara Gordon, of course. Up next and finally is Gotham Academy number 18, Yearbook Part 5. Interstitials written by Brendan Fletcher, interstitials penciled and colored by Adam Archer, and interstitials inked by Sandra Hope. 
All of the maps continue their hunt for Robin across the school campus until he finally escapes, leaving her scrapbook behind. Within the book lies a clue drawn by Robin to lead Maps to a gift hidden in a tree from Robin to his friend Maps. The gift is the first edition of the Serpents and Spells Handbook. Along the way and in the different places, the duo remembers some stories that are in the scrapbook. So first up, Whatever Happened to Professor Milo, written by Brendan Fletcher, illustrated by Maura Tott, and colored by Sir Bay LaPointe. Milo witnesses a secret meeting between Headmaster Hammer, Batman, and Tristan. This piques his interest and he skulks around, but does not find out why Tristan is so special until Milo is brought into the fold by Hammer to help extract the virus from Tristan's blood. As all this goes on, Milo is also obsessing over the secrets of Arkham. He also realizes that all of is special, and he watches as her friends start to unravel the secrets of the Academy. We also see Milo begin administering a drug to Coach Humphreys, which begins his transformations. Milo later breaks into Hammer's office to obtain a key to Arkham, but he is caught and kicked out of the Academy, and as he leaves, he hopes Humphreys can hold the beast at bay. Then there was Precious Metals, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Mingwei Young, and colors by Sergei Lapointe. Mr. Silversmith, the shop class teacher, is obsessed with silver and is teaching the class how to plate as Maps dreams of a special monster weapon. Silversmith gives an assignment where each student must bring in a very special item that they would not want to part with in order to be silver plated. If the item is not special enough, the student will fail. At night, Maps distracts Silversmith and steals the silver, later using it to forge her weapon and saving the other students from the project. Talent Show, written and illustrated by Natasha Alterici. At the annual Academy Talent Show, Pomeline and her assistant Maps is going to do some magic until Maps falls from a height and Pomeline rescues her. Pomeline's mother is proud of her because of the fortitude she showed, and Maps probably won't let Pomeline live that moment down. And then finally, Driver's Ed, written and illustrated by Faith Aaron Hicks, colors by Sergey Lapointe. Kyle teaches Maps how to drive in a golf cart with a Batman emblem on the front. That's basically it. So, the end. In August, there will be a special mystery one-shot, and then September begins Gotham Academy second semester. So, first of all, Mr. Silversmith is Sterling Silversmith, a plainclothes criminal who specializes in smuggling silver. He first appeared in Detective Comics number 446, and in this story, he's clearly batty. Second, if you notice, Faith Aaron Hicks should be a familiar name as it was an Easter egg in the epilogue chapter of Uncharted 4, or you should know her from the Nameless City, which is something that she's been writing and illustrating. I think potentially the most important story here is the Milo story, as it has been a question for months how he made his way from the Academy to the first volume of Batman Eternal. We also get a glimpse of Tristan's backstory, as well as Coach Humphreys, and it's interesting to see Hammer and Batman working together. So questions and answers in that story. Connected to the previous issue, we continue to see a softer side of Pomeline, this time in the fact that she rescued Maps and looks to gain her mother's approval. I do wonder who would give a second glance at a vehicle when they were in pursuit of someone. This is sort of in the main story, right? Maps and Olive are going and they're like, oh, there's a golf cart. We should use it. But I can't drive. I mean, honestly, if you're in this situation, even if you couldn't drive, would you let that stop you? I think Driver's Ed was, in fact, my favorite story. And if you notice, the majority of these stories are Maps-focused. Perhaps this was a way to balance the Olive-driven plot during the regular season. So this ends... 
Gotham Academy, I guess volume one, depending on how they are numbering the next set. I'm going to give this particular story seven out of ten diplomas. I think overall the series probably 8.5 again, uh, I would say. Uh, again, there are some sort of slower issues, and uh, but good ones. And, and I'm looking forward to see. I think the big thing is, you know, Olive and is she going to turn to the dark side? That's sort of the big question for a second semester. Now over to Chris for his Batman 66 review. Ah, that's like a bottle with another swig left. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you today as I'll examine Batman 66 meets the Man from Uncle number 6, featuring our favorite courageous comic book heroine, Batgirl. Issue number 6 was cover dated July 2016. The cover art was provided once again by Michael and Laura Allred, and the contents were originally released in download format. Our story is The Batman Affair. Chapter 11, A Plan is Hatched. This was written by Jeff Parker and the artwork provided by Quasquale Coalano, David Hahn, and Carl Kessel. When we last left our heroes, they were in the clutches of the tentacles of a giant purple octopus still trapped in Dr. Hugo Strange's undersea lair. Mr. Freeze is summoned, and he freezes both the octopus and the water. Our heroes are freed, but only to be subjected to more sessions of Dr. Strange's hypnotic brand of conditioning. By day five, the Bat villains encounter our heroes in the commissary. Batman plays a recording of one of the sessions, and Hugo's voice states that the villains are to be nothing more than foot soldiers and henchmen, and that the heroes would be higher in the pecking order of status. This irks the villains and their egos, and then Batman proposes an alliance with them. A plan is quickly formed, with the villains breaking up into smaller groups and taking over parts of the compound. The escape occurs just before Hugo tries to hypnotize Batman into revealing his secret identity. Just before our heroes can rendezvous with the villains to escape by submarine, Mr. Freeze creates an ice wall blocking their path, a double cross. Our heroes push the ice away and pursue the villains in the Bat-Sub, and find that the villain's sub has been seized by the giant purple octopus. Presently, everyone is then on a naval ship, with our heroes capturing the villains, Hugo thinking that he's Batman, Napoleon regretting that the base wasn't blown up, the men from UNCLE alluding that they know Batman's secret, and Batman smiling back at them until they meet again. The End Last summer, there was a Man from UNCLE feature film introducing the TV characters to a generation that likely never heard of them before. Released August 7, 2015, the film, directed by Guy Ritchie, made a little over $109 million at the box office versus a budget of $75 million. The film cast Army Hammer as Ilya Kuryakin and Henry Cavill, the current movie Clark Kent slash Superman, as Napoleon Solo. I had mixed opinions about the film and thought overall it was just okay. I had expected a little more. I didn't like Hammer's portrayal of Kuryakin as more of a muscle-bound spy with anger issues, compared to the sensitivity and subtleness that David McCollum brought to the character. I did like the early 60s era period setting, and thought that this was one of Cavill's better performances as the very suave Napoleon Solo. While the story established Uncle and the movie ending left it open for a sequel, I'm not aware of any future film in the works. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, the film has a rating of 68%. As for the finale, I thought this was a decent, if not great, conclusion. The All Reds had outdone themselves with the covers in this series, and this issue is no exception, with Batgirl looking especially great in a heroic pose. 
While the art was great, the chapter dragged on a bit, and the brainwashing sequences seemed to be ineffective and just droned on. A point was made with Napoleon just wanting to blow up the base and be done with it with no regards to human life. Villains and henchmen be damned. While none of the villains under Strange had much to do, all were depicted well and given a good voice and word and character. I'm not sure I'm okay with the men from UNCLE knowing Batman's identity. But it is what it is, and they said they are good at keeping secrets. Over on the TV website, Jerry Green gave this 3.5 out of 5. I'll agree with the score and give this the equivalent 7 out of 10 bats. Now, as a matter of note, I did like Jeff Parker's work on the DC title Future Quest, which features old Hanna-Barbera characters such as Birdman, Space Ghost, and my personal favorite, Johnny Quest, among others. Without spoiling too much, the first issue has some of the giant robot spiders that Dr. Zinn used in the Johnny Quest episode Robot Spy. So, if you like Jeff Parker's stuff and are a fan of cartoons of that era, I do like this, and I think Parker's writing meets and exceeds anything he's done on Batman 66. I know this issue sold out quickly in my area, and trying to track down and find a copy might be difficult. Before I go on a personal note, I apologize if my voice was a little off today. I had to have unexpected surgery very recently, and I'm still recovering. I'm trying to get some anesthesia out of my lungs and some wind back in my sails. As such, I'm postponing my IDW book review and examination of the Batgirl 60s comic strip appearances for just one month. Thank you for your patience and understanding. I'd like to give a shout-out to those of you out there in the medical profession, and especially those kind souls who work in pre-op and post-op in any capacity. And another shout-out to the staff at Edward Hospital, who made my ordeal much more bearable. I was very fortunate to be in their care, and to have some kind, caring souls at my local Grand Crackers Comics in Naperville, like Don and Tuba, looking out for me as well. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments for myself or for the podcast on the TBU website, and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. If you wish to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Thank you for your support. What other 60s TV appealing spies will team up with the dynamic duo? What feline villainess will bear her claws, and what is she after this time? Will Batgirl appear in this series, or will this be one cat suit too many? The answers to these mod, mysterious, malevolent, mischievous, maladjustive missives to be mandatory mold over next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris. It seems short for some reason, but I am now at near the end, you know. Uh, I now have my literature recommendation. And first up is Sanctuary by William Faulkner. And this is the description from Amazon.com. So, spoiled, feckless Temple Drake, the daughter of a judge, runs away from school with an unsuitable man. Abandoned by him with a gang of moonshiners, Temple falls into the clutches of the psychotic Popeye, one of the most grotesque characters of Faulkner's imagination. A compelling, shocking tale of perverted justice in the Deep South, Sanctuary is also a moving plea for courage in the darkest of circumstances. I will say, just a caveat there, uh, it's not in all ages at all. It is perhaps one of the more disturbing, or most disturbing, who knows, uh, novels that I have read, though it was very engaging. Just a little, you know, caveat for you in case you're looking to read that. And next I have Authority by Jeff Vandermeer, and this is the second of the Southern Reach trilogy. The first one was Annihilation, which I think I recommended last month. John Rodriguez, aka Control, is the Southern Reach's newly appointed head. 
working with a distrustful but desperate team, a series of frustrating interrogations, a cache of hidden notes, and hours of profoundly troubling video footage, Control begins to penetrate the secrets of Area X. But with each discovery, he must confront disturbing truths about himself and the agency he's pledged to serve. And actually, I have just finished the third of the trilogy, which is called Acceptance, again by Jeff Vandermeer, and this is on the back of the book. It is winter in Area X, the mysterious wilderness that has defied explanation for 30 years, rebuffing expedition after expedition, refusing to reveal its secrets. As Area X expands, the agency tasked with investigating and overseeing it, the Southern Reach, has collapsed in on itself in confusion. Now one last desperate team crosses the border, determined to reach a remote island that may hold the answers they've been seeking. If they fail, the outer world is in peril. Meanwhile, acceptance tunnels ever deeper into the circumstances surrounding the creation of Area X, what initiated this unnatural upheaval. Among the many who have tried, who has gotten close to understanding Area X, and who may have been corrupted by it? Yes, so I enjoyed this trilogy immensely. I think I'm somewhat... I feel like I said last time that it's uh, a post-apocalyptic literature, but it's not really. It's more of like a pre-apocalyptic because the Area X situation is like they're investigating to see if it'll get out of control and create an apocalypse. So I do apologize about that, that it's not really post-apocalyptic, but it's on the verge. But I do recommend the trilogy. I thought it was really interesting and engaging read, as I said, uh, suspenseful. Uh, mysterious, troubling, all those things. So check that out. And finally, I finally finished, it took me several hours, I didn't read it all in one sitting, Elseworlds Batman Volume 1. For the first time ever, Batman's Elseworld tales are featured in a new graphic novel collection. This is, of course, from Amazon. If you know, or maybe you don't, but in Elseworlds, heroes are taken from their usual settings and put into strange times and places. Some that have existed or might have existed and others that can't, couldn't, or shouldn't exist. The result, stories that make characters who are as familiar as yesterday seem as fresh as tomorrow. Featuring Batman as a holy priest, Harry Houdini alongside the Dark Knight, Dr. Wayne reanimating a Frankenstein-like Batman, Batman as a Green Lantern, a supernatural Batman fighting the evil wizard known as the Dark Joker, a future Robin fighting off an alien invasion, and other tales. So this is what it collects. Batman Holy Terror, Batman the Blue, the Gray, and the Bat, Robin 3000 number 1 and 2, Batman Dark Joker, the Wild, Batman Houdini, the Devil's Workshop, Batman Castle of the Bat, Batman in Darkest Night, and Batman Dark Allegiances. Some of these are not really good. It's interesting that I do love Elseworlds, but some of them were just sort of dragging and, and not as worthwhile. One that is like just super bizarre is Batman Dark Joker of the Wild. Very strange. I really liked Batman Castle of the Bat with like the Frankenstein-esque. I thought that, that was good. Batman Houdini awesome art. Batman in Darkest Night, where he becomes Green Lantern, is really good. Holy Terror to a certain extent. And then Robin 3000 was actually, it was it was so different, but it was actually it was good and fun. So uh, so there are good ones and bad ones. I'm sure there'll be a volume 2, which I hope so, because I have yet to read The Red Rain. 
I think trilogy. So looking forward to that. But you know, if you're looking, if you're like someone who really loves Elseworld tales, I think this is for you. But otherwise, maybe just look at the different tales and see if you can find them on Comixology. Well, that's it for this particular episode. Remember to send any questions or comments to Oracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Oracle. Follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support TBU and of course buy that BTO by going on the BatmanUniverse.net and supporting TBU on the right hand side of the page. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And a very warm and special thanks to Sue from DC Women Kicking Ass for coming on and talking to me about the first introduction of Birds of Prey. Well, until next time, keep cool and fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>